Magnus Podcast, Episode 14, The Scandal of the Uneducated College Graduate, with Dale Alquist. Welcome back to the Magnus Podcast. I'm John Johnson. That is my real name. As you know, college graduates of today are by far less intelligent, less employable, and less pleasant to be around than ever before. And yet, the costs of college are also rising faster than ever before, entrapping students in what amounts to be a lifetime of well indoctrinated well-intentioned, indentured servitude. In a word, this is a scandal. It is the scandal of the uneducated, unemployable, and unenjoyable college graduate. Worst of all, it's a scandal in which nearly every young person of the day is expected to participate. But what if there were a better way? The Albertus Magnus Institute exists to pop this college bubble and provide a real alternative to the broken higher education system. Best of all, it's completely free. No joke, it's completely free and open to everybody. You can learn more and apply now for the Magnus Fellowship at magnusinstitute.org fellowship. We are getting ready to launch online classes These are live, interactive, completely synchronous, small virtual classrooms. So you're not just watching videos, but you're interacting with other fellows in the Institute and other senior fellows. We're we're assembling right now a body of really the most impressive academics in the world that are doing great jobs at great institutions. We're going to bring them to you for free. Imagine that. So we're gearing up right now at magnusinstitute.org. Please join us. Join the fight. Consider giving something monthly to help us in this fight. It really is a fight, and the enemy is one that cannot be um, subtly adjusted or helped. We believe it's at a point where the system needs to be simply destroyed, and it is being destroyed more and more rapidly as more and more people wake up to this truth that the college system is broken in a way that can't be repaired. It's just not worth it anymore. So there has to be a better way. We believe that better way is the Albertus Magnus Institute. So thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Thank you for sharing it with your friends. In today's episode of the Magnus Podcast, we are sitting down with renowned author and scholar Dale Alquist who sheds light on this meat grinder that is college and gives us some great ways to escape it. So you're going to enjoy it. We are drinking wine with Dale Alquist, so this is not technically a bonus episode that involves the drinking of three real beers. It is wine tasting. However, that won't stop us from playing our theme music. Johnson, he's with John Johnson. 
All right, so Mr. Dale Alquist, the great, uh, thank you for wine tasting with me today and allowing me to wine taste with you. This is about as good as it gets. I wish everyone could see us, John. I wish they could see the idyllic and perfect setting that we are in right now at the uh, Sierra Vista winery uh, outside of Placerville, Placerville, excuse me. And uh, also, I wish especially that my friends in Minnesota, where it's uh, about 15 degrees and snowing, you could see us right now. You mean it's not a, right a fine 80-degree fall day in Minnesota right now? It, it was about a month and a half ago. Mm -hmm. that, that was a good description of the past in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's great to have you out here. Do you get out to California very often? I get out to California every time that I'm invited well, hopefully there's more of that around the bend. I certainly do hope. And so many people know of the work of G.K. Chesterton because of your work. If not most people, uh, that's fair to say. I know my first introduction to G.K. Chesterton as a kid was seeing you and uh, Chuck on EWTN's TV show. I think it's still in reruns now. And uh, just give me a little glimpse of the fruit of your work in the vineyard. As we are now in a vineyard. We are in a vineyard. Yes. Well, I uh, started reading Chesterton uh, some 38-plus years ago, and uh, I had the same sensation when I read Chesterton. Keep in mind, I was a Baptist at this point. I was an evangelical and devout at the, at the same time. And uh, Dorothy L. Sayers said that when she first read Chesterton, it was like a strong wind coming into the building and blowing out all the windows. I had that same sensation. I, I encountered a writer unlike any that I'd ever read before. I came out of a good four-year liberal arts college and had never been exposed to him, as no one in my generation had been exposed to him. And he was a who I would later call a complete thinker, someone who wrote about everything and put it all together and did it with uh, great certitude, but great humility, and also amazing wit. And underneath it all, joy and charity. It was it was really the perfect combination of everything. So he wrote about everything, and it all pointed to uh, a, a Christian interpretation of existence and, and the glories of, of a civilization that was, was founded by, by the church. And so Chesterton started escorting me to the Catholic Church. It took him 16 years to get me to the door and enter. And uh, and then, then it really started to take off. I, I helped start the American Chesterton Society, had the television show on EWTN, which uh, was on for 15 years. And now is, it is in the glorious Gilligan's Island rerun stage. And uh, we, we, we've had... It has, it, you know, it, that actually, you know, gave Chesterton more exposure in the modern world than, than he's ever had. And that was such a privilege to be part of that. We have Gilbert Magazine and our website, Chesterton.org. And I have, uh, for the last 18 plus years, been full-time in promoting and uh, uh, really uh, showing people how Chesterton is a thinker for our time. How many people have you met ballpark who have been converted by Chesterton or would attribute Chesterton as a principal means of their conversion? Sure. I started a list too late. I should have started earlier, but right now I have uh, 500 people on the list of, of wow. people who converted because of reading G.K. Chesterton. Wow. And, I, and I'd imagine countless more who have been entered in a, in a real way for the first time more deeply into their faith. Absolutely. In fact, I, I've had people tell me, you know, it was, I, I was kind of a, a nothing Catholic, a nothing believer, and Chesterton 
really brought me to a fullness of the faith. Uh, uh, priests said that they found their vocation in reading G.K. Chesterton. And some of these are very notable, important priests in the church today. Mm-hmm. So there was Chesterton that just ignited them. It's hard to read a page of Chesterton without laughing out loud. Well, if if you don't, there's something wrong with you. Right. <laughs> and, and I think... Uh, I think that's what throws so many people off, and I think it threw people off even in his own time a hundred years ago. They, they didn't think he was a serious writer because they would laugh so much. Right. Uh, but as Chester says, you know, the opposite of funny is not serious. The opposite of funny is not funny. That's right. You can be serious and funny at the same time. And so many uh, modern uh, attempters at evangelization, uh, even authors. Uh, it's like we take ourselves too, too seriously. We're not funny. Like I don't, I don't see the same humor today so much. What, what have we lost? Well, uh, it, you, you've pointed to one of Jester's great lines: "Angels fly because they take themselves lightly." Yeah. And you take yourself seriously, you are not flying, and neither are you funny. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was he was hilarious, and and you do kind of have to get it work up to it like right. my wife loves chesterton now she first started it and she wasn't laughing and it's like you don't get it <laughs> and then she kept reading and now she's now well she's laughing yeah you certainly have to throw away all your expectations when you pick up uh that's right some Chesterton and read him because he, he's not like any other writer and you have to throw yourself at his mercy and let him lead you along he'll take you on a circuitous route he'll take you on a scenic route and then he'll give you um, an ex- uh, really unexpected ending. It's yeah, just and completely so, so often you, the reader, are the punchline of his joke <laughs> yeah, in a way that a, is going to evoke conversion. That's a very good way of putting it, Chad. You're you're the punchline of the joke. Yeah. Okay, so you you wrote this uh, really impressive piece that resonates with uh, the mission of Albertus Magnus Institute deeply on the scandal of the uneducated college graduate and very prophetically 90 years ago uh, G.K. Chesterton uh, gave us uh, some reasons why college will actually be is making people stupid and, and, and in those words right yeah, uh, yeah can you break that down for us why why is college for stupid people well um, uh, the uh, it comes down to I, I, we started a a classical uh, high school called Chesterton Academy. And uh, the reason we started it is because we saw that modern education was going in the wrong direction and has been going in the wrong direction for many years. Uh, Chesterton says the problem with our schools today is that they are teaching a philosophy of education that is younger than the student they're teaching. They're, mm. they're always trying a new style, a new philosophy, uh, a new approach to education, and they've forgotten that the whole purpose of education is that you're passing truth from one generation to the next. His his definition of education is truth in the state of transmission. Is is this tradition? I mean, is this a word? I mean, in uh, in orthodoxy, he's got a chapter on this in the uh, the ethics of Elfland. Right? Yes. And uh, would this align with his understanding of tradition as the handing on of the real? Yeah, I think it's a it, it it aligns with that perfectly because as as you find when you read Chesterton, everything you read in Chesterton is connected to something else you read. Uh, and yeah, it, in in Orthodoxy, he talks about tradition being the democracy of the dead, yeah. uh, giving a vote to your ancestors, and you, you're you're letting your your ancestors have a voice, uh, and that's what tradition is. 
And that's what education is. It's yeah. it's letting your ancestors teach you. But if you're subscribing to the latest fad, the latest fashion, well, then you're not teaching anything. Because the thing about the latest fad and latest fashion is that tomorrow it's going to be out of date. So if you're teaching your student the latest fad and the latest fashion, you're giving them something that's really of no use to them because tomorrow they're going to need to know something different. There's this paradox at work because the student is is naturally, for some reason, attracted to the latest fad and the latest fashion. So to teach, uh, one has to convey, as Aquinas would say, right, in the mode of the receiver. So we almost have to convey these timeless truths in a mode that the student of the day will be able to understand and find palatable. Uh, how does Chesterton understand that whole uh, paradox. It is, it, is, yeah. it is a paradox, yes. right? Yes, and he said, you know, the role of the artist um, mm. uh, is to is to really repeat the the timeless truths in what appears to be an original uh, manner. So, yes. it, it, and the the old is always new when it's repeated for a new generation. Uh, and but he says that the whole point is that it's the old things that intoxicate us. Wine is a good example of that. Uh, Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's so, but whereas, whereas the new things are the things that right away grow old. Um, and so you, you, you find, uh, where, where the, the point of receptivity is in the, the student, but you're, are, are bringing him the timeless truths. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that's why you teach, um, the Odyssey and the Iliad, because uh, those are full of of truths that they're going to actually start connecting to when they start reading those books. They're going to read. They're going to see that that the the struggles that those characters are going through in those epic tales really actually somehow connect to what they're going through right now. And they're going to realize, well, wait a minute, I'm not the first person who's faced this particular challenge. Right. And, and so Chesterton says, yeah, we teach we teach the Iliad generation after generation because all of life is a battle. We teach the Odyssey every generation because all of life is a journey. We teach the book of Job because all of life is a riddle. And yet our generation has very decidedly and deliberately ceased to teach the Iliad, the Odyssey, and the book of Job. Why? And what is the consequence of abandoning these things that come before us? Well, Chesterton would say that it, is, it has come down to uh, uh, what amounts to a hatred of Christianity. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the civilization that was created by the, the church, which was a combination, interestingly, of, of a pagan civilization that brought us the, the great uh, pagan philosophies of of. Plato and Aristotle and the great pagan literature of Ulysses and uh, uh, Sophocles and uh, married it or rather baptized it by the, 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 the Catholic Church and uh, showed that the truth and reason, the truth and, and uh, uh, that, that reason and, and uh, faith, faith go together and they yeah. don't contradict each other. And that, that, that truth, beauty, and goodness, those ideals are are what you uh, completely nurture in a student, and uh, uh, you know bring them into their formation. But we have a world that not only hates the truth but teaches the lie, hates yeah. beauty but brings ugliness, and really hates goodness and and calls things that were 
never considered virtues mm-hmm. uh, to be good. Why? To what end? Well, it's it's uh, the, the, we can't we can't have a philosophy unless we acknowledge original sin, and the world doesn't want to use the world the word sin. And Chesterton understood this in his time. Hundred years ago, he says, you know, we can't talk about sin anymore. Right. Um, he is. Another, but what's the end game for the world? I mean, what 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 is if the world if if the world today is not in the business of educating the human person, what is the goal? Because something's happening. Yeah. Right? Well, so so his his approach, since he knew we couldn't talk about sin, he says, well, let's talk about sanity. Yeah. What what is the most sane philosophy? Uh, what what happens if you take any of the modern philosophies to their logical conclusion? He says they will end in insanity. Uh, so he he took he he tried to leave leave aside the argument of sin because nobody wants to talk about sin, even though he said original sin is the only Christian doctrine that you can actually prove. <laughs> but but he said okay let's what's, let's talk about what's the most sane philosophy. Let's look at at all the modern philosophies. And let's evaluate them, and let's say, let's look and say, if you take any of them to their logical conclusion, where do they bring you? He says, they will bring you to not only an insane condition, but a self-destructive condition. They all will destroy themselves. And and so this is how he engages the modern world. Uh, he, mm-hmm. he takes on uh, Darwin, Marx, and Freud. And so you, you take, if, if everything we do is based on biology— well, then, if we have no free will, then we really can't operate. We can't even make laws. Um, if, if, we, if, if everything is based on economics and on our drive for bread, um, that, that once again, we don't have any sense of truth, beauty, and goodness, and nothing really matters. If everything's based on sex, if everything's based on things that we can't control, well, then we can't even say, please pass the salt. So the modern project of education could be said to boil down to a elimination, a systematic elimination of the the human's capacity for the transcendent. Well, it's 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 all an attack on free will as well. But yeah, yeah and, and and with without without free will, you don't have the transcendent because that's something you have to seek actively. And uh, and the the or mono- at least you're uninterested. In yeah. Well, yeah. And 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 right. There is certainly no transcendent if everything is material. If everything is psychological, if everything is purely economic, there's no transcendent in any of that. So Chesterton lived to see the beginning of the uh, the standardized test and the SAT, and <laughs> beginning of really the the commodification of the student. Yes, and his great line was from it was from a speech in 1927. Uh, he said, "Culture and the coming peril." Very prophetic speech. He says the the what I'm warning you about is not excessive democracy or excessive vulgarity. He says, I'm warning you about standardization by a low standard. Oh, yeah. Mm. 1927. Wow. Yeah. So this these schools have become factories uh, not to educate persons and open, up, open them up to the, an awareness of the transcendent, cultivate wonder, but to sort of carve them out as objects fit for use. Yeah, yeah. A very utilitarian uh, look at the human person. Yeah. And what is the, um, well, how, what's the way back from that? Because I think everybody knows the problem. And honestly, right, this this is a bubble that is going to pop. People are going to see that it's not, it's not worth it to go into debt, hundreds of thousands of dollars to get 
the same crummy anti-education. And it's almost, as a culture, we're sort of laughing at it, seeing these celebrities paying a million dollars to like fake their kids' test scores so their kids can go and get thrown in the meat grinder and become even less intelligent, <laughs> right? It, it, it is. It How is, long will people keep doing this? It is time. The, the emperor uh, has been recognized as having no clothes in terms of uh, the emperor of education. Uh, there's there's nothing really being offered. People are understanding that they are – if the purpose of education is to get a good job – uh, you are really being put in into the mill. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's you're, if you're if you're going to try to uh, get a great education so you can work for someone else. Uh, that that that's not much of a goal to look forward to. And at the same time, colleges are just raising their costs exponentially because the government keeps feeding money, uh, and and debt keeps growing. So people are going to wake up to this pretty yeah. soon. It's like it's like the biggest bubble of our time, right? Yeah, Chesterton recognized that the, you have this unholy marriage between big business and big government, and if that isn't epitomized in big education, nothing is, because uh, all, all of the, these huge uh, college tuitions are fed by big government, but they're also um, exploited by big business. And uh, because what are the people trying to do? They're trying to get a job with with those huge corporations. That's what they're trying to do, and uh, it, it it will explode. And and Chesterton uh, was very prophetic uh, in saying that's that's what's going to happen. He was he was watching the beginning of what we're watching the full fruition, or you could say corruption of right now. So yeah, what's what's the solution? Um, Chesterton says it begins with a tendency against a tendency. Mm. We have to start turning a very big ship. And it has to be done slowly, uh, you know, w- without the benefit of uh, of a bloody revolution to do it. Um, we- people have to start making changes uh, at the local level. Uh, Chester says the it can't be done to people; it has to be done by people. And so it really mm. starts with with us as uh, as faithful uh, Christians, as faithful Catholics, because it's it's our faith and our culture that's under attack. What we have to do is really start demonstrating the fullness of that culture with our families, with our immediate communities, with the schools that we start and that we run. Uh, we start f- forming students that are going to demonstrate that there is a, a way better way to... Uh, so for a parent of a young child listening to this and hoping for his or her child to avoid the meat grinder... Uh, tell us about the Chesterton Academies all over the place. So, yeah, so our school was started with the idea that what's wrong with public education is 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 epitomized in a line of Chesterton's. The one thing that's never taught in any of our public schools today is that there is a whole truth of things and that in knowing it and speaking it, we are happy. Hmm. There's a whole truth of things and then knowing it and speaking it, we are happy. Public education cannot teach the wholeness of truth. It has to take the heart out of truth because it can't teach religion. And by um, you know prohibiting that, it's actually prohibiting meaning. Students realize if they're not being taught meaning, they're not being taught anything, and nothing means anything. Uh, and, and so we have to not send our children into the public school monster. If, if we do that, we're doing a disservice to our children because they will not be taught the whole truth of That's things. That's a non-negotiable. Yeah, it really is a non-negotiable. Right. Even if you live in a nice area, yeah. in a nice district. and Your your school is not going to 
serve your child's eternal needs. Fundamentally, that's not the state's job, and you're you're betraying your your kid to offer him up to the state. Chesterton said, when we gave the state control of education, we gave the state more power than it's ever had in all of human history. Yeah. And so um, educating your child is a sacred duty. And when you hire a teacher to stand in local parentis in the place of the parent, you better make sure that parent re- that, that teacher represents you. Because if they don't, you're, dis- you're just giving your child and you disservice. fractured the most yeah. fundamental level of society. So you fractured society itself you by have. dividing the power of education. Right. And and Chester says, you know, when you break the family apart, there's only one force that's going to be strong enough to replace it, and that's the state. Hmm. And we have we have broken the family up, and we have replaced the power of the family with the public school system. And and, right. and and we're we're looking at the fruits of it. And this is by design, right? I mean, Chesterton lived to see the Bolshevik Revolution, but it started by you know, for, first people they hired were kindergarten teachers, right? Yeah, uh, well, the the uh, it actually came out of uh, Germany, cl- closer. Uh, the the public school system as we know it came out of Germany even earlier. Huh? Yeah, because yeah. it's it's um, and they, they're the kindergarten is a German That's German right. word. Yeah. yeah, it's a German word, and it was the um, the result of of the Protestant Reformation. That's 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 where German German philosophy all grew out of the break from the Catholic Church. And, so the uh, idea of a of a an, an extra familial school itself for young for like young people like kids mm-hmm. this this is a Protestant idea. Yeah, it's a Protestant never, idea. Never happened before. Yep, never happened before. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So um, we and so so that's the that's the first step. You you have to take control of your child's education. So with Chester Academy, what we did, um, and we're a high school, so we're in grades nine through twelve. Um, we we said, okay, what we're going to do is well, one more thing. The other problem with ed- modern education and, and public education, which most private education simply apes, including most Catholic schools, unfortunately, is the separation of everything from everything else. Oh, yes. And so by, by tearing all the subjects apart from each other, students don't understand how one subject is connected to another. All they, they get each of their subjects taught, and then they don't really put it together because there's no cohesive. There's the alleged glory of the STEM program. Yeah, STEM well, uh, well, what's happened is, yeah, but but they don't understand how anything's connected to each other. And so the humanities suddenly just drift off with no meaning whatsoever. And they realize, well, we have to teach the STEM uh, curriculum because that's where the most practicality is and that's right. where we can compete with the world. Whereas if you teach the wholeness of things, the whole truth of things, and teach the child how to express the whole truth of things, you understand the role of science and even the role of math in supporting the humanities. And so at Chester Academy, we teach the wholeness of things. And and science is actually connected to art. Mm-hmm. Why is science connected to art? Because they're both about creation. They're both about the work of the creator. Yeah, uh, when you're looking at the created world, at the natural world, you're seeing the mind of God, and it's a branch of theology when you're studying science. When you're studying math, well, all you're doing is you're studying logic, which is philosophy. And so, philosophy and math are connected to each other. It's about problem solving and uh, learning how to order your thoughts. Hmm. So the so the academy is rooted in the in the classical notion of the trivium and the quadrivium. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Explain that. Well, uh, well, you know, we're 
when I say we're, we're rooted in that, our idea is that you 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 teach philosophy um, in its connection to to math because you're teaching logic, mm-hmm. and and logic is is simply the, the the rules of ordering your thinking. We we teach um, uh, theology because uh, you have to teach the ultimate meaning of things. We teach art because uh, we teach beauty. Uh, so all the students learn how to draw and paint. They they by the by their fourth year because they have four years of art. They learn they learn how to copy an oil masterpiece. We teach drama as a requirement because drama is the most Christian of all the arts. It's about dying to yourself <laughs> and learning how to rise again as, in a new creation that the author has created you to be. And also, big in drama, you learn how the body of Christ operates because every role is important and every role is 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 uh fundamental to the the body operating as a whole so if one part of the body doesn't work the whole body suffers because oh, of good. that yeah. yeah and then um and then we teach uh music uh and so all the students learn how to sing and chant but then we we center the day around um the idea of the incarnation that it's that everything has meaning because god has entered history and God has become flesh, and it is the incarnation that informs everything else we teach. And so we have daily mass, mm. and that's the the focus of the day. And so the the subjects are not only connected to each other; they're all connected to that fundamental truth that wow. uh, that that uh, the Christ. Now that's the kind of high school I'd send my kids to. Right? That's where I send my kids. Yeah. <laughs> Where are they? Uh, how do we find out about them? Well, uh, go to chesterton.org and chestertonschoolsnetwork.org. Org. Um, we are, um, you know, we, we, we just started our school in the Twin Cities in Minneapolis 12 years ago. We had no idea that we were beginning a grassroots movement. People started coming to us and said, we want to start the same school that you started. And so now there's there's these other schools that have started. So at Chesterton.org, you learn about G.K. Chesterton, and you, and you learn about our the, the connections to our, our classical That's great. learning. Yeah, yeah, we got one here in California. Yes, we just started a few a couple few years, years ago yeah. uh, outside of Sacramento and, and Dixon. Even, yeah, Dixon. Yeah, they're yeah. even doing young young kids, right? Yeah, it's well, a, they have pre, uh, they have they have some uh, another type of school league up to at the. Um, uh, good, the Good Shepherds in a monastery school oh, leading okay. up to, but yeah, ours is only our curriculum is only the nine through twelve curriculum. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I'd imagine there's no lack of practical application for this because it, <laughs> the entire modern modern education system is like do this so you can do other things and get a job, and it's not like these kids that are coming out of the Chesterton schools are uh, lacking in any in any uh, practicality about life, right? John, but, I love the way you said. There's no lack of practical application. Yeah, it's, it applies to everything. You're, so you're, since you're teaching the whole truth of things, our students have gone off and become everything. They they get into the college they want if they want to go to college because they've got a, they're really have gotten a great education, but they have gotten a four year high school education that is probably better than most four year college educations. That's right. Some of them are ready to go take a trade right away. They're well formed. And they, they develop their trade and they can start working, get married, have children without the benefit of a hundred and twenty thousand dollar debt. Isn't that nice? Yeah. How about that? 
Yeah. And what, what, just comment on that quickly. What is the relationship between this sort of education, which, which is another sort of education, right? It's, it's something sort of foreign to modern ears and a trade. Do you think a trade is something that every student should have? I'm, I'm asking kind of as a young father, like my oldest is like four years old. Uh, but, but I'm like in my mind, okay, as they, they're going to get, they're going to get the liberal arts education, and they're also going to learn a trade. It's not to be mistaken for one another, but let's do both. Yeah, What's well, your take yeah. on that? I mean, a, a, a trade uh, is, is a skill that you uh, develop to support yourself and that you, you give yourself to, and that is, uh, you know, that is, that is the thing that, that you, you're supported by. Whereas the, the reason for – and that's something you could do by just – uh, training and, and developing that skill, right? You don't yeah. you don't need a higher education to to have a trade. Now, if you're going to become a doctor or a lawyer or uh, some kind of uh, uh, higher level vocation that in, that that needs more education, um, you know that's that's different. But you are you are committing yourself to. Um, not only spending more money to get that training. But you you may or may not find you know the happiness that that you want. Uh, right, it, it's it's just being a, a well formed human being who has a skill, and then can support a family with with that skill. Mm-hmm. You know uh, what you want to do. The the whole purpose, Chester says, of education, is not to prepare a child for the world, but to prepare the the child for the home. Mm. You want them to go off and make their own home. That's the important thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. How does so Chesterton writes in in Orthodoxy about the death of wonder in this form of anti-education and empiricism and the death of you know the the fairy tale, right? Yeah. And you got yeah. you got every should read it. It's, it's Orthodoxy. Just, yes. Orthodoxy. Yeah. It's 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 brilliant. Um, how do we recover as a culture? As a culture, right? There are there are you know these great uh, schools like Chesterton you can send your kid to, and then they'll sort of get back at it, but what do we need as a culture right now more than anything to recover wonder? Boy, that's a great question because uh, you know, one of Chester's great lines uh, is, the world will never starve for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. Oh, yeah. And, and he warned about the fact that with our amazing growth in technolog- technological achievement and scientific miracles, as it were, where there are more wonders than there ever have been before. And yet, there's less wonder. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think uh, that Disney approach has, has in some ways uh, jaded people towards wonder. Uh, it's just one more marvel after another. Isn't that the truth? And, and, and kids are bored. They're yeah. bored. Uh, and so I, I think we have to, uh, they are bored. These yeah. Are these fake princess castles. Yeah. yeah but then take your little daughter to Lords, France. Yeah. And, and see a real princess castle. Right. And, and possibly unplug them for a while. Right. And, uh, have, or bring them, bring them to a vineyard where we are right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and bring your babysitter. Bring the, ba- bring the babysitter too. Bring the babysitter. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So do you think there's hope? There's always hope. Chesterton says, hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. Amen. And hoping against hope is the, is the greatest sort of hope. That's, that's why it's one of the great Christian virtues. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, lightning round, real quick. Uh, 
your favorite author of the 20th century whose name is not Gilbert? Oh, you're being mean to me now. I'll tell you who you, my. You do I'll, know about other things, yeah, right? I'll tell you who. I'll tell you who my uh, my latest favorite author of the 20th century is, who I've uh, just really been enjoying of late. Uh, it's a Scottish novelist by the name of Bruce Marshall. Hmm. He um, was uh, a Catholic convert, very influenced by Chesterton, an amazing wit, and his novels need to be rediscovered. His most famous novels are uh, Father Malachi's Miracle and The World, the Flesh, and Father Smith. He wrote, um, he wrote one of the, there's, in that last novel I mentioned, there's a line in that novel that is often attributed to Chesterton, but that, that's the source of it, and it's, it's very paradoxical. And it's the man who's knocking on the door of a brothel is knocking for God. Ain't that the truth? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I could have said P.G. Woodhouse, but I'm going to go with Bruce Marshall. Okay, okay, All right. good. All right. Favorite uh, favorite movie, uh, best uh, film. Yeah. Okay. So the pro- the problem with favorite movie is um, uh, the, what what you really want is what movie if it were on right now, even though you've seen it a hundred times, would you sit down and watch it again if it were on right now? And there's there's two of them. One of them is Groundhog's Day, <laughs> and 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 the other one is Mary Poppins. Wow. Yeah. Ironic that you would watch Groundhog Day over and over. Yeah, because that is ironic, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. It's about purgatory, right? That's what the movie's about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, last lightning round question. Uh, Does your family think of you as a weirdo because of your Chesterton fascination? My my family has been completely tolerant. Um, (laughs) And uh, and though they seem to uh, enjoy me... um, it, it, they they really don't think that what I've done is that important, and uh, they don't really realize so they, how the, big of a deal the, you the, are. Yeah, the whole perp- the whole purpose of a family is to keep you humble, and they do a very good the job. The prophet of that. is not yeah. welcome in his yeah, hometown. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> but you do like other things, right? I mean, you, I was we were we were talking about this last night at dinner. That, like there, there's there's great. There's great works, you know, and then there are modern popularizers of these works. I don't think of you as a popularizer. You're just sort of the conduit of Chesterton to the world, but you're not dumbing him down. You're not reducing him. You're not, you're not printing, you know, 10 steps to Chesterton. <laughs> uh, like you're giving us Chesterton, but you, but you mentioned something interesting to me that you're translating Chesterton for uh, the Americans. For the Americans, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm translating 20th century English into 21st century American. Hmm. And so it, it, there's a little translation that goes, that takes place. But, um, but you know, my goal was, um, to not let the next generation be cheated like my generation was. That's, that's the impetus for the, uh, the Chesterton Society. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And on, on behalf of, I mean, I have dozens of friends and family who have been brought back to the heart of the faith because of Chesterton, and that was only possible because of your work in the vineyard. So I, <laughs> I'm very blessed to, to do what I do. Thank you, Dale Alquist. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. See you next time. God bless. Thank you for listening, and thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends. Please be sure to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Leave us a nice review. It goes a long way. A production of the Albertus Magnus Institute Incorporated, all rights reserved.